This podcast is part of the Deluxe Edition Network. To find other great shows on the network, head over to deluxeeditionnetwork.com. That's deluxeeditionnetwork.com. Hello, this is Agoro, host of the Agoro Show. And you are listening to the Steve and Crypto Show. So keep your ears open and your mouth shut, 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 shut. Hey, welcome to the Steve and Crypto Show presented by thestevestrout.com. I am Steve. I'm Crypto Zoo. We are here. And it is episode 126 already. I know you guys have been waiting after listening to part one of our chat with Sam Irvin when chat or when part two was going to be heading your way. So we're here and guess what? We got to pay the bills, as you could say, or cross our fingers and hope that some of you guys listening can help pay our bills because we're broke podcasters. So if you want to head over to patreon.com slash Steve Crypto, you can check out some great content over there. We got a variety of things. Go to Patreon and check it out. Let us new know what you think coming. of it. Yep. A couple new things coming real soon. We're actually going to be recording a new Patreon segment right here after this segment we're recording right now. So stay tuned for the new stuff. But until then, go over to patreon.com slash Steve Crypto and check out what we have to offer. Also, you can go to buymeacoffee.com slash Steve Crypto and give us a little tip. You can uh, contribute to the show, contribute to pretty much everything that involves the podcast. It, it helps towards getting us to the next live event, which we have several coming up down the pipeline. Um, helps out with merch, all kinds of different things. And if you want to keep up with our shenanigans online... Uh, follow the Steve Strout and CryptoZoo88 on X and Instagram and um, join we, the group. We also have a Facebook group, of course, that we encourage you guys to join. Just look up Steve and Crypto Show and you'll find us. Um, also, if you are thirsty, which I, I know you are, then head over to expeditionroasters.com and use the code Steve Crypto when you get something in your. Uh, your box that you decide you you can't live without. And I know you're going to find something because they have a lot of flavors to pick from. It's coffee, by the way. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so when you find something in your, your inbox, use the code Steve Crypto and we'll, uh, we'll help you out with a, a little discount. You'll get a little something from your third favorite podcast. And we thank you guys for trying their coffee because we think it's badass. And you know what? You're going to look really good drinking that coffee if you're wearing a Steven Crypto shirt or a hat. So you can start by going no, to... They also are going to need something to drink the coffee out of. Uh, well, of course. Yeah. I mean, you're not just going to slurp it off the table or something. It's it's good enough that... That if it spilled, you would slurp would, it off the yeah, table. I'm not wasting that shit. Yeah. Yeah. No. Especially that cinnamon bun stuff. <laughs> We're going to try a new flavor next time, though, by the way. Yep. Yep. But um, so, of course, you want a cup for your coffee, and that's where we come in. So head over to 
Etsy slash shop slash Stephen Crypto merch and get yourself a Stephen Crypto coffee mug. We have two different t-shirt designs over there. There's a magnet for your fridge. If you want a trucker hat, we still have a couple of those available. Just contact us directly to get those and stickers as well. Everybody loves stickers. So if you want one, just uh, answer some of the trivia in the previous episodes and we'll be happy to send you a little sticker pack. And of course, you can come see us at some events that we'll be mentioning in a few minutes, too. That's right. Stickers. We do have pins. We never mention the pins. That's yeah. We don't ever mention the pins. Yeah. They're, they're so like neglected. The fucking coolest thing we have. And yeah. We mention them. They're pretty cool. We have a couple different versions of those, too. So Normally, they're a million dollars each, but if you come and see us at an event, we'll give them to you for like two bucks. That's right. Or if you hit Hell us of up, a discount. Hit us up, and we'll send you one for... Two bucks and whatever shipping costs it shouldn't be that. The much. shipping costs a million dollars. Yeah, you yeah. probably just the button itself is only two dollars. Probably send us like five bucks and we'll be able to mail you a couple pins and some stickers or something. Yep. And of course, that all goes back into the show, like you said, to get us to our events and get advertise the show, get promotional materials and all that bullshit to improve our recording gear. To improve things like that. Yeah, to improve us. Things of that sort. Yeah. Um. And of course, the cups. I can't. I can't mention the cups enough. Yeah. The cups are awesome. I just used mine this morning. I used mine yesterday. And I did have a cup of Expedition Roasters cinnamon bun coffee, which was fucking still, still phenomenal. Yeah. Um. You got a Stephen Crypto shirt already? Go get some more shirts from Halloween Shirt Company. It's HalloweenShirtCompany.com. They have a collection of vintage-looking Halloween shirts, hats, merch, other kinds of clothing and collectibles and all kinds of stuff. It's a great company. Go check them out. First time you shop there, they give you a pretty good discount, so go do it up. Uh, Send them a message. Tell them Stephen Crypto sent you. And they'll be, uh, they probably won't give you any more discount, but they'll still be happy and appreciate you. I believe the discount they're using right now is give me that 25, isn't it? Yeah. I don't know how long it's running. So yeah. I didn't want to mention it. Yeah. But I know right now they're doing like a 25% off thing. Yeah. By the time you listen to this, it may or may not be active yeah. still, but it's worth going to check. Either least. way, they're still going to hook you up with something. Yep. Good deal. Yeah. They have a really cool vintage look to a lot of their designs. I, I really dig them. And uh, with that being said, you guys heard at the top of the episode that we are part of the Deluxe Edition Network. It is a collective of independent podcasts, all different genres, horror, sports, comedy, movies, pop culture, all kinds of stuff. Um, There's over 20 shows, and we're all there supporting each other and promoting each other. It's the Deluxe Edition Network. Find them on social medias or go to deluxeeditionnetwork.com and you can find links to all the shows that are available through there, <coughs> excuse me, including us. And then uh, every month there is a pair of podcasts at a month, September, which are wrapping up. And honestly, I don't know if this episode is going to launch before the end of September. Like everything is behind. Because last time you guys, the last episode you guys heard me, I was like dying on the microphone. And I'm finally getting my shit back together. So by the time you're listening to this, there might be a new 
duo of yeah. podcasts so for the month. <laughs> I'll let you guys know September yeah. podcast of the month is the Broken System podcast and Quad Pro Quo. Both great shows. Yep. Check them out. Um, we are very close to October, though. Halloween month, where we're going to have a lot of shit going on here. So hope you guys are ready, because we're bringing it in October. But the Halloween, October, the whole... October is Halloween. The whole month is... Yeah, it's just <laughs> it Halloween just be called month. Halloween. Yeah. It should be fucking... That's what I've been telling my oldest yeah, when he's August, like, September, when is my birthday? And Halloween. I'm like, well, next, he's like, is it next month? I'm like, no, next month is Halloween month. Yeah, it's Halloween. Like, Don't, whoa, whoa, That's back That's off. pretty much my birthday. Don't make this about you. This is Halloween. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> but uh, there's podcasts of the month for October are The Graveyard Club and Terror Tuesday. So those are both good shows. Uh, Terror Tuesday, we know, is... Uh, uh, live Instagram chat every week. Like I, they're good people. Uh, she's featured actually had on Matthew Mark Hunter, the filmmaker for Nightmares Unleashed, which is coming very soon. The film I'm a producer on, and I cannot wait to see it. Isn't that also the guy that's behind that movie? What was it called? I think. Somebody I know did a voice in it. Was it called Stoner, Stoner Snakes? Snakes? Yeah, that that was that was my uh, my voice acting debut in Stoner Snakes. I was a snake named Milo. So if you watched the movie, it's up on YouTube now. It's actually gotten a couple nominations in independent like horror film festivals for a horror comedy, and it was nominated for something else that I don't remember. I mean, it should have had a nomination for best actor <laughs> for Milo the Snake. It's uh, I nominate myself, <laughs> <laughs> and and for anybody wondering, like it's a it's a fun time, and it's not like it's not really long either. No, it's like under twenty minutes. Yeah, yeah, and it's just kind of like a play on the whole druggy monster animal craze that kind of went on. Yeah, watch it with some friends. Yeah, and, and you should probably get stoned like yeah. snakes. Yeah. You'll appreciate it more. That would help. I did play it for uh, an older gentleman. I had him check it out, and he's like, "It was." He said it was good. It was fun. He said yeah. it pair well with some weed. <laughs> yes, yes, sir. You're correct. But, <laughs> but yeah, uh, what was I saying? Graveyard Club and Terror Tuesday, the Deluxe Edition Network podcast of the out. month for October. As Krokozu said, check them out. Um, so yeah, we mentioned some shows coming up. Uh, I know Crypto has a couple performances coming and something that he's involved with booking. Uh, but as a collective for the Steam Crypto show, let me run through a couple things we have coming. October 7th, we have the Fall Festicon in Kent, Washington at the uh, Page Turner Books, where we've been before, and they really liked us there, so they wanted us back. That's it's such a, a cool area. It's a cool, that's that little neighborhood, yeah. Yeah, just that one part of Kent is really cool. I mean, Kent is is a cool little spot anyway, but... A lot of tweakers out there, but... Yeah, yeah. but I've <laughs> had some fun shows out there in the past. Yeah, and then it's right next door to Greg and Ann's shop, mm-hmm. the Retro Emporium, which is one of the coolest stores around. Uh, so, yeah. 
October 7th, Kent Washington. Page Turner Books. It's going to be authors, artists, terror readers, special guests. Us, Stephen Crypto. We'll all be there. And then we have October 13th and 14th. We have the Witch's Walk Fright Night in Port Townsend. You guys will hear more about that. Maybe we'll even record some segments there to share during Halloween month. Yeah. And then October 11th, one of our favorite conventions in the Northwest, Grit City Comic Show. We will be there with Russell Hodginson from Z Nation. Uh, hanging with him and all our friends in beautiful Tacoma, Washington. And I should have silenced my phone before we started, but whatever. It's all good. Um, so, yeah, you booked. You're going to be performing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I got a couple things popping up. Only one of these I'm actually performing at. You should perform with the other one. I probably could, but. You should just jump up and do like two songs. Do like crazy or something. Just I might. And then be like, hey, that fucking beat from that song, we use that in our. As our podcast introduction music. Yeah. And then just, yeah. I might do that. We'll see. If you're going to do that, I'll make sure we'll record you. Okay. I'll film you. Okay. Well, I might do it now just for that. Just to do, just, you know, just one or two fucking things and I'll record it pretty good for you and we can share it with people. Yeah. They might want to see. I don't know. Whatever. It's up to you. Yeah. We'll see. Um, I've already been thinking about that today, you know, whereas... Some things changed for the show format and all that. So, um, just be I like was fucking just debating because you know, your DJ could play your shit for you. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you've worked with him. Yep, Rob's plenty. the man. I'm definitely familiar with working with him. Um, so, uh, you mentioned October 14th. So, you and I are going to have our thing downtown at the spectacular event. We're going to be there, like you said, kind of doing some maybe on-spot interviews and just maybe we'll go live and show people that can't We're going to be like there. signing autographs and shit and <laughs> and taking photos with children. and we'll, we'll probably go live and show people like what, what we're working with down there. Um, and the 13th, they're going to have a couple rock bands play and it's like a 21 and up thing. The 14th is more all ages during the day. Um, and so that evening after we're done with the spooktacular, I'm going to head out to Spanaway, Washington. So anybody in Spanaway, Tacoma, Seattle area, if you're looking for some live hip hop, please come out and check out, uh, this lineup of, I mean, a, a fair amount of talent here that honestly I'm, I'm not familiar with, but I say that in a positive way because it's always nice to go to a show and like see a bunch of new talent. I know the poster looks pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Good job with that. So uh, Cole Z is going to be the headliner. And then we also have the Apostle, Young LA, Choir Boy, myself, Buck the Trend with special guest Takeover Collective. Um, Again, Saturday, October 14th, shows at 8 o'clock. We're going to be at Sam's Bar, which is on uh, South Pacific Avenue in Spanaway. Um, $10 presale, 15-day of show. Buck Wild is hosting, 21 and up. Come check it out. I hope to see you. And you also have a hand in a 
Halloween party here in our town, which is yeah. probably worth mentioning because we do have a national touring hip hop performer coming through. Of course. Yeah. So um, I've been working on this one, trying to make it a, a, a reality. And I'm finally able to say that it's happening now. So after seven years, Kung Fu Vampire is going to be coming back out to uh, Jefferson County, back out to our little corner of the Northwest. Uh, he's doing a Pacific Northwest tour with his drummer, Action Paxton, and Doc Vore. And so we're going to have them out at the old alcohol plant on Halloween night. And it's 15 advanced, 20 at the door. Um, from 3 to 5, we're going to have like a trunk or treat event. And then 6 to about 7.30, Robotics is going to, or DJ Robotics is going to be playing and kind of keeping the dance vibes. And, and uh, well, we're probably going to stop around 7, take a little break in the middle and do a costume contest. Then we'll kick the music back on. And then... 7.30 to 9 is Kung Fu Vampire and Doc Vor, and they're going to end the night. Um, the whole thing is going to be done around 9 o'clock, just so if anybody listening is thinking, like, that's a Tuesday, I got work the next day, my kids have school, whatever. Um, you'll be home by 10. Yeah, you'll be home at a decent time, especially anybody that's local that's listening. Like, it's not far from home at all. So you'll be able to still get home at a decent time, get a good amount of sleep and raid some of your kids candy while they're sleeping yeah take the good shit yeah all the crap <laughs> and so the uh the old alcohol plant is a hotel they also have um a bar and a restaurant in there so anybody that's thinking about coming to the show come out maybe stay the night if you can or just come out and have dinner before the show and then dance for a little while before kung fu tears up the the room you could dance while he's performing too though <laughs> yeah it's okay yeah you don't have to stop when <laughs> just they, stop just... when they start playing but uh yeah Toby really 31st really looking forward to this one and i know kung fu is as well he's excited to come back um a handful of people asked about him returning after the last show and i'm hoping that some of those people that were at the all ages show Bring friends. Bring yeah. friends, but also maybe some of them are old enough to where they're they can attend now, this one now. Yeah. <laughs> they were 15 then, now they're 21. So. I know at least one or two of the kids that were there. One of them actually got on stage for the little, uh, like, the rap thing. Um, well, I'm sorry. That was the first show that Kung Fu did out here. But there was a, um, like, what was it, like a cypher? And uh, Gmo Ski put it together. Yeah, he yeah. had a whole bunch of us get up on stage. And one of those kids back then was probably like, I don't know, 12, 13. So. So he still wouldn't be old enough. Well, that was 2014. Which was six, nine years ago. Yeah. Ten. I mean, I'm probably off on his age, too. I don't yeah. remember how old he was, but I'm just saying. I, I'm pretty sure I've seen him around now, and I've. I think he just turned 21, like in July. Well, you better find him and tell him to come to the show. Yeah. Anyway, Hopefully he's listening October to October 31st, Halloween. <laughs> yeah. If you're Come party with Kung Fu Vampire. If you're in the Northwest, come up. We'll be there. 
Steve better be there. Probably. It's not far we'll from see. his house. It's it's I can see the place from my house. But <laughs> I'm also old. But it'll be done by nine o'clock. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'll be there. <laughs> if anybody posts on social media that they're gonna come to the show, I'll make sure to come. But I know uh this is for anybody listening that's local. I know some of you guys are looking for something to do on Halloween because, you know, things have changed in the last few years. We don't have all the same entertainment around here that we used to. But um, we're, we're doing our best to try to provide something around here, and especially for a younger crowd, too. I'm trying to provide, like with myself and Steve and some other people around here, we're doing our best to try to provide some entertainment for a younger group so is that why we're doing this podcast <laughs> yeah yeah uh, this is this is for us sort of but if you enjoy it then we thank you yeah yes um you mentioned earlier on that we had sam Irving on you guys listened to part one and he talked about shit what he talked about he talked about his books and he kind of keeps that story going on here in part two of the conversation. Um, tell stories about, you know, meeting Christopher Lee and Vincent Price and all like the who's who, like horror royalty and legends. Um, he got some good stories and definitely uh, enjoy the rest of this conversation with Sam Irvin and go get his books. Support this guy. Get his books. Um, I'm sure doing the the uh, Hallmark Christmas movies isn't as lucrative as one might think. And I would, this is just a wild guess, but I, I would like to guess that his heart might be a little bit more invested in the books. Oh, he puts so you much know. of his heart and soul. These books are like him. He bears a lot in these books. Like, especially the... Uh, the the monster hunter book the first one he like tells you know deep stories and there's a lot of emotion and stuff in it um so yeah check out his books check out the rest of this this uh conversation uh find him on social media let him know that you listened and, and enjoyed hearing his story and say hi to him he's a good dude he's you know he's a, a celebrity of sorts but he's just so accessible so it's you know uh, I'm, I'm lucky to consider him a, a friend and uh, he's a good dude so enjoy the rest of this and we will be back to say goodbye we all love a good ghost story but have you ever wondered how it came to be have you ever wanted to dig deeper into the true history of your favorite stories of the macabre how about whether or not it really went down that way Join us bi-weekly on Ghoulish Tendencies Podcast, where we, two paranormal investigators, delve into the depths of the famous and not-so-famous cases of murder, ghosts, legends, and lore, with a healthy dose of debunking. I'm Gabby, the resident Mulder. And I'm Kim, the resident Scully. And we're your ghostesses of Ghoulish Tendencies Podcast, found wherever you listen to podcasts. Stay spooky! You're listening to the Steve and Crypto Podcast. This is Jack Rudo from the Stapled Spine fanzine here in Horror, Oregon. We write and publish everything from horror comics, 
bands, movies, puzzles, mazes, dirty jokes, sometimes boobs. I don't know. Come find us. StapledSpine.com. Were you one of those kids that uh, took care of all your stuff and saved it? Do you have a lot of these gifts and posters and everything still in your collection? I wish. <sighs> so depressing. But over the years, because I'm, you know, in a freelance or in a crazy business, whether it's feast or famine, there were just millions of times when it was famine and I would have to sell off things to get by. And over the years, I've pretty much sold off all of my posters and all of my magazines. I mean, I had a complete set of famous monsters, including issue number one and, um, you know, things like that, that I just, I still wish, I wish I had now, but all of it's pretty much gone. Um, I do still have um, an original six sheet of Cat People, the Val Luton film with Simone, Simone uh, which is a prized possession of mine. And that is, is 81 by 81 inches. It's absolutely huge. And it's framed here in my living room. And, uh, and I have a, you know, if, few other things but if it's if it's not up on the walls and and our wall space is very limited and my husband doesn't want the walls filled with horror stuff everywhere so there is an eclectic mixture of things that we have walls that's that's how my fiance is same thing if it was up to me the walls would be covered yeah but otherwise the walls would be covered no everything's a negotiation on the walls but now you know i couldn't even there's not room to put a postage stamp up on our walls um (laughs) But if it's not on the walls, if it's just going to be sitting in the closet or in storage, um, I'm tempted to to sell it because you know I, I'm I'm getting older, and when I when I pass on, you know I, I'm just you know why people is anybody going to know what this stuff is or what it's worth it or whatever else? Might as well enjoy the money now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then. And you let somebody, somebody else that awesome collectible and that memory and yeah, for yeah. sure. I know one of the the coolest stories from your Monster Hunter book was about the we're talking about collectibles and stuff is the gift the little trinket from Vincent. Oh, out, out antiquing with him. Yeah, still well, got that right. He, um, Vincent, um, this was kind of the weekend when, uh, the romance part of it kind of, uh, kind of was on fire. Um, he invited me for the weekend to come up to, um, the, uh, north of, of New York where he was in in New Haven where he was, um, performing his one man show of Oscar Wilde. Good old New Haven. And I was, um, gosh, let's see, this would have been about 1979 uh, when I was working for De Palma and we were um, just in, we were just getting ready to start shooting Dress to Kill, as I recall. But anyway, I went up there for the weekend. I was probably, let's see, 79, I would have been 23, I guess, 22, 23. And, uh, he, uh, I stayed at the same hotel. He wanted me to, um, and, and I had the new script for the film that, that I was developing for he and, 
and Coral. So I was delivering the first draft of the script. He'd, he'd read the extensive treatment and different things. And um, so it was partly business and partly, you know, everything, but he, but it was, you know, it was going to be a lot more intimate in a off the beaten path place like this than, than the times when I would see new, him in New York and he'd be so busy and socializing with everybody in the world. Um, and so uh, he had me come to his hotel room and I went there and he opened the door and he was wearing this floor length red kind of dressing gown or dressing robe. And uh, it was absolutely beautiful. And he had me come in and we, um, I could tell he was being more flirtatious than, than I had ever uh, seen before we hadn't been really alone just the two of us that much you know we would meet in restaurants or we would meet with coral or you know different things but this was just one-on-one -on -one. and um and then he uh you know we we had some, we had some drinks and everything and when i i described this in the book that his his flirtation was was not chasing me around the table. It was more, much more intellectual and verbal. And uh, he would talk about, um, he talked about how in his, he'd been married a couple times and stuff. And he, he said that occasionally his, uh, he, he was open for business on the side was the phrase that he used. And he kept, he didn't really use pronouns. So it wasn't, uh, absolutely clear, um, you know, what sex the, 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 the people that he had had affairs with, you know, he, he was very cagey about making it a little vague. And, uh, but I knew what he was getting at. And I always suspected that he was gay. And um, I was definitely gay, but I happened to be married to a woman at that time, just like he was <laughs> married to Coral. And, um, but I knew where this was headed and I could just tell. And he eventually worked around the conversation to asking if I was monogamous with my wife. <laughs> and I knew that was the, that was the turning point question. You know, my answer to that question was going to determine where he was going to go next. And I decided that I better, I think it's going to be better for both of us if I white lie. Because I was not faithful to my wife. But I said, yes, I'm monogamous to my wife. And that kind of cooled things off. And he respected that, like a gentleman that he was. And we turned the conversation to business and talking about the script and, you know, whatever else. Um, had I answered differently, I think that the whole no conversation could have happened. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He, it would have, you know, he would have made, a, he would have made a pass. Uh, I mean, you could, you could say it was already a pass, but yeah. it was, you know, I, I, I knew where it would have gone if I had answered that question differently. Yeah. Um, but we still had an absolutely lovely weekend together. And the next day, um, he had this catered 
brunch for me in his room and it was just absolutely gorgeously beautiful with flowers and eggs benedict and this chef who was this wonderful chef who ran the restaurant there um you know personally came and set up the table and had cloches that they lifted up when it was time for us to eat and you know it was just all fabulous and um but after we finished eating then he said um i'm going antiquing this afternoon would you like to come with me and i was like oh my god yes i can't i mean vincent is known uh, he's an uh, expert in art he was hired by sears to be their art buyer and he had written uh and published these beautiful art books and you know collections of art from around the world and um so yeah, you know, I was absolutely on board for that. And he took me to this antique mall that he had been to before and really loved it. And I admired this um, porcelain of Mephistopheles. And it was <laughs> dressed in red, oddly enough, the same color of the red robe that <laughs> Vincent had been wearing that weekend. And his face looked a little bit like Vincent actually. And, um, and I remarked on that and I showed the, this porcelain, it was about, um, six inches, seven inches, six or seven inches high. And, uh, and Vincent said, Oh, you have very good taste. That's uh, a Hutchenruther. It's a great German, uh, porcelain maker. Um, and, and that's a beautiful piece. And so then, you know, I put it back on the shelf and when we got up to, he had, he found a, a piece of art that he liked. And when we got up to pay for it, um, he suddenly had this Mephistopheles there and he bought it for me as a gift. And I still have it to this day. It's actually in the other room. And, uh, it just, you know, it's something that means the world to me. And it was just such a, such a lovely gesture for him to do and an expensive one. And uh, anyway, I, it was just, it was fabulous. So that's definitely a piece that I would never um, sell and it will be with me the rest of my life. And uh, anyway, it was just a very, very special weekend and a very special um, gift for that weekend. Yeah. I, I'd say, I feel like probably, the direction you went with the uh, private conversations probably strengthened your friendship with him too. Cause I think if it would have went the other way, it could have caused. It would have caused. Yeah. Problems. Issues. Yeah. It caused issues. And, um, and you know, it, I, I think you're right. I did, you know, I did end up divorcing my wife. Um, a couple years later, I met, a, I met a guy who I'm still with to this day after 41 years and counting. Uh, his name's Gary Bowers and we're married now and everything. But I ran into Gary and I in right, maybe I forget the year, maybe about 1987, maybe 88, somewhere in there. We went up town to see the new John Borman film. Um, gosh, now the name of the film is escaping me. It was about the family during World War II. Um, we went up to the theater to see that we bought our tickets, but we were there early and we decided to go across the street to Bloomingdale's and kill time, book it 
um, the men's department and and um, Gary drifted over to the men's fragrance department and was, you know, sampling some of the samples. And we're, we, I look over my shoulder and there's Vincent Price. <laughs> but this is, you know, I ran into him coincidentally at that theater in London when I went to see Diana Rigg. I ran into him coincidentally two or three other times in my life. It's just so bizarre how I would just keep running into him. I ran into him in an elevator with my parents one time uh, at a a hotel in New York. Anyway, there's Vincent. And I, I, before I can open my mouth, he says, Sam, what are you doing here? It was his standard line every time he would see me. And I made a joke by saying I was, I I was here looking for Christopher Lee. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and anyway and then i introduced i said vincent i want you to meet my boyfriend gary bowers and vincent got this huge kind of sly smile on his face and and putting you know putting all the pieces together and understanding now that i've divorced my wife and and uh that I've come out as gay and everything else. It was just very amusing to him. And he said to Gary, I'll never forget it. He said, so you're the lucky one. (laughs) Which was, again, his sly way of saying that he had, you know, that he had kind of wanted, he, he wanted to be the lucky one, you know, and it was, it was a little bit of reading between the lines of that. And, um, you know, it, it was just very cute. And I, I love the way he handled it. Anyway, it turned out, he said, I said, well, we were actually going to the John Borman film um, and we were just killing time. And he said, oh, my God, that's exactly what I'm doing. Coral and I came to see the same movie and we have tickets. And so we all sat together in the theater, watched the film. And uh, it was just, again, just one of those weird serendipitous hair on the back of your neck stand on end kind of meetings and uh and it was just it was just perfect and that um was one it was one of the it might have been might have been the last time that we saw each other in person i i can't remember i might have seen him one other time but at any rate it was it was really great to see he and coral one last time and uh and, and I'm, I'm really glad that vincent got to meet my meet Gary because Gary's such a big part of my life. And, uh, and that was really lovely too. So anyway, it was, it was great. It was just fantastic. What were, uh, Gary's thoughts on meeting Vincent? Was it like, kind of, was it a starstruck thing or was it just like, Oh, you really do know him. I thought you were bullshitting all this time. (laughs) I think it was both. I think it was both. He was very impressed and very um, impressed that Vincent knew me, you know, by name and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I mean, it was definitely, but, you know, I mean, I, he, he knew me around other celebrities, so I don't think it was complete shock, but, um, but he was a big fan of Vincent as well. I mean, he's not a huge horror film guy like I am, uh, especially the classic, but, you know, Vincent is Vincent. I mean, you, you know, Vincent's done all kinds of films and, he loves Lara and some of the other kinds of films that he did. Um, so he was very starstruck to see him and, and very honored to, to, to get to meet him in that way. Yeah. So 
Is there anybody that you didn't encounter that you wish you could have or had opportunity and kind of missed out on? Yes. Um, I would have loved, loved, loved to have met Boris Karloff. Um, he passed away in 1969 when I was what, uh, like 14 or 13, I guess 13. So, you know, if I had somehow had the luck to be able to run into him, like when we came out to California or, you know, something, I mean, I always wish that somehow that could have happened because Bride of Frankenstein is my favorite film of all time. I would have loved to have met Elsa Lanchester and she was around um, when I probably could have, if I'd worked on it harder. Um, and um, there was, you know, Lon Chaney Jr. was alive during my lifetime uh, into the seventies and I would have loved to have met him. Bella Lugosi died the year I was born. So that was, <laughs> that was not going to happen. He died like two months after I was born. Um, so yeah, those were definitely the, the horror royalty that I would have loved to have encountered. Um, I almost didn't get to meet Peter Cushing in person. We had corresponded a lot. I had interviewed him through the mail with the questionnaire for my fanzine. Both times that I came to London, he, the first time he, uh, he had given me his number, just like Christopher Lee had, and, and I and wanted to meet with me. And when I called him, and unfortunately, he was under the weather. And he said, I'm just not well, not feeling well. I shouldn't make the trip into London. Um, we'll do it next time. Well, I made sure there was a next time. And it was next the next summer. And I called him, but he didn't answer. And I kept calling and calling. And then, lo and behold, I find out he is in Florida. <laughs> I I leave the United States hoping to meet him in London and he leaves London and comes to the United States. It's like great, perfect timing. He was in Florida shooting Shockwaves, the zom the Nazi zombie movie with he and John Carradine and Brooke Adams. And so the timing just and and everything just wasn't working out. And I was getting very frustrated because I so much wanted to meet the guy in person. Well, I had um interviewed Ingrid Pitt. I had interviewed her through the mail with a questionnaire. And then when I came to London the first time we met in person and I interviewed her in person and we became really fast friends. She was just the most hilarious lady. And Ingrid Pitt, of course, from the Vampire Lovers and Countess Dracula and House of the Drip Blood and The Wicker Man. I mean, she had done a whole bunch of horror films and um, I absolutely loved her. And so we became really good friends. And then the second time I came to London, you know, we hung out and went to dinner and different stuff. Um, well, this, that second time I came when that was the summer of 75. And that's when Peter Cushing was in Florida shooting shockwaves. And I was bemoaning to her over dinner, you know, how I'm getting really frustrated that I can't meet Peter Cushing in person. And, 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 and she thought it was hilarious that, you know, it just, that it just kept not working out. Well, that very same year, I get a letter from Ingrid in the fall. Um, after I sent her the, the issue of the magazine, the, my latest one, and I get this letter from her from, and it, it's addressed from like Argentina where she's shooting a movie. And she said, Dear Sam, I have been invited to New York in November 
to be the guest at the famous Monsters of Filmland convention. And would you like to come and be my aide de camp? Now I had, I didn't know what aide de camp meant. I had to go look it up in a dictionary. (laughs) Um, But of course it means, you know, to be her assistant or, you know, just companion and bodyguard and, you know, all, all hyphenated together. And, you know, I'm like, oh my God, yes. Uh, so I wrote her back and said, absolutely, yes. I'm, I'll get my parents to, um, to let me go up there. I had two cousins who lived in New York, so I knew I'd be able to crash in one of their apartments. And um, so, you know, the answer was a resounding yes, 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 yes. Okay, well, then as it gets closer to the convention, they announce like very close to the convention, like maybe just a week or 10 days before that they've added another special guest, which is Peter Cushing. And I was dancing for joy. And so when I get there, I find Ingrid in the lobby of the hotel. We meet there and she goes, Sam, I know you've heard the news, you know, (laughs) Peter's going to be here and I'm going to make sure that you get to spend some quality time with him. And I said, Oh my God, this is fabulous. And, uh, and she did, boy, we, um, we got, I, I mean, I was, she, she, we were, you know, Siamese twins the whole weekend attached at the hip. And, uh, we went to this VIP dinner and they had name cards where they had placed her right next to Peter and she, and then I, and then they had a card for me next to her. Well, she switched the cards cause she was, she was going to put me right next to Peter in between and so, so sweet of her, so incredibly sweet. And they were cross-talking, you know, back and forth because they were really good friends. And, um, but it was just so nice to be able to be, you know, in the middle of the, of everything. And Peter, by the way, it was, it was just like Vincent Price. As soon as he met me, um, as soon as, you know, I came in with Ingrid, he said, you must be Sam Urban and, you know, and how's your magazine and blah, blah, blah. I mean, it was just like he knew me and, um, and it, he couldn't have been nicer and just the sweetest man. I mean, everybody who's ever met him will tell you he's just the most gentle, most polite, loveliest gentleman ever. And um, and all the quirks were there. He had he always wore a white one white glove, which was his smoking hand because he didn't want to get nicotine stains on his hand, on his fingers. And, uh you know, just, just all the cliches and all the things that you hear, it was there in force. And, um, it was just fabulous. Just, just incredibly great. But at that dinner, I mean, that table was something, I mean, it was, um, Ingrid Pitt, then me, then Peter Cushing, then Michael Carreras, head of Hammer Films, then, uh, uh, Barbara Lee on the other side of Michael Carreras, who played, uh, who they had cast as Vampirella, a film that never got off the ground, unfortunately, that was also going to have Peter Cushing in it. But they presented her that weekend as though the film was really going to happen. And she appeared in her Vampirella costume and blah, blah, blah. And then next to Barbara Lee was uh, James Warren, who was the publisher of the uh, famous monsters and also creepy, eerie and Vampirella magazines. And then next to him was Forrest J. Ackerman, who was the editor of Famous Monsters. And next to him was Kathy Laurie, who was Peter Laurie's daughter. And 
and then next to her was Leonard Wolf, who was a who had written the annotated Dracula, and was a real expert on on Frankenstein and Dracula literature, and um, and then me again. So it was just the table, I guess, of nine people, and just you know, again, I, I just somehow lucked out and kind of getting on the inside of these kind of events and different things that happen. I just, I just always somehow had the luck to, to not always be on the outside as just a fan, but actually, you know, getting invited or, or into these situations where I would be, um, you know, with all of my idols. <laughs> it was incredible. Absolutely. Incredible. Lots of I, luck and hustling. Yeah. yeah. And, and Kind of making it happen on my own, you know, it just, I learned that nobody's going to do it for you. You're going to do it. You got to just put yourself out there. You got to, you know, the way I met De Palma, I, I, I found in the trade journals, uh, listing that Carrie was in early pre-production and they had a casting office number and I just called cold the casting office number and they put him right on the phone. Now that would not happen nowadays, but yeah, in the, <laughs> they were, there's less concerns about, you know, crazy fans, I guess. And, uh, and they put him right on the phone. And I said, I'm doing this little festival of your films in the University of South Carolina. And would you come? And he said, well, hey, I'm, I'm out here in California. I live in New York. I'm broke. I really need some stuff at my apartment. If you'll give me the airfare from L.A. to South Carolina, then to New York for the weekend and back to L.A., I'll come for the triangle airfare. And I said, done. Cause we had a budget. I was running the campus movie theater and we had a budget for special events and stuff. And so we had the money to do it. And so that's how I met him. I just called cold called a number that, that, and they put him right on. I mean, and that's what started the ball rolling and, and lo and behold ended up being his assistant for years. And, that launched my, I mean, I learned, I went to film school, but I really went to film school. My, my film school was being on his sets and, and, and working with him behind the scenes and prepping his films and everything. I mean, it was, I learned everything. And every time I direct any movie or TV show or anything, every single thing I do every day is just riddled with things that I learned by observing and, and, and being, you know, a fly on the wall with De Palma. And it just, you know, I, I really look up to him as, as a total mentor for my directing career, for sure. It's definitely, a, like you said, it's a lot different now, a lot harder to connect with people now. Cause I've always, you know, I've been blogging and contributing to fanzines and you know, yeah. podcasting and all that. And it's it's a bitch making connections sometimes. Oh yeah, it's not it like me, you can't yeah. write a letter and. Yeah, it and, took me yeah. years at Guillermo del Toro to write the afterward for my new book, upcoming book. You know, it's just it's it's really hard. Now I will say this: when I did call to Palma, he had not had a big breakthrough hit film yet. You know, Phantom. Paradise didn't do well. Sisters was just a minor little, you know, AIP B movie. Um, and he had, he had filmed Obsession, but it hadn't come out yet. And he was getting, you know, starting to prep for Carrie. And Carrie, of course, became his big breakthrough movie. But 
his his best friends, you know, Spielberg had had Jaws, George Lucas had had Star Wars, um, and American Graffiti, uh, and Coppola had had the Godfather movies, you know, all his buddies had had these big breakthrough successes, but he hadn't had that yet. So, um, it was about to happen with Carrie, but I got to him, you know, when he was still kind of struggling and poor. Um, timing. Yeah. It, it was timing. It was a great timing. But I'll tell you this, the casting session that he was doing that I cold called was, and I didn't know it at the time, was the probably the most famous casting session in the history of cinema because he and George Lucas were sitting at a table together reading every young actor in town for Star Wars and for and for Carrie. Everybody who came in were reading for both films. And actually, when I think about it, George Lucas had not had a Star Wars breakthrough yet, but he had had American Graffiti, which was, you know, very successful. So anyway, um, I mean, that, you know, that, that I, I just would have loved to have been there. I wish I could have, you know, been around to be a fly on the wall at that cast, those casting sessions. If, if I had been working for De Palma that early, I mean, just, just think of the amazing people that came through that room. <laughs> yeah. Even the, even the ones that didn't get the gigs, like yes, who, what young up and coming stars were. Oh, it's wild. Absolutely amazing. But uh, yeah, it was, it was something else. And to, when De Palma came to my school, um, he brought with him a cassette tape of the recording session. He had literally just finished with Bernard Herrmann's score for obsession and Bernard Herrmann, for those who don't know, was like, you know, considered the greatest film composer of all time. He, you know, his first film he ever did was Citizen Kane. And he's also known for a little film called Psycho with the slashing violins and the shower sequence and everything else. Well, De, um, De Palma had used him for sisters and then again for obsession. And he had these brand new cues that no one in the world had heard. And he played them for us in, in a film class and, and, and went up to the, to the chalkboard and said, okay, this scene, when you hear the, these horns going, he drew the storyboards of the scene and everything. It was absolutely incredible. And he said, and guess what? I, my friend Martin Scorsese, um, I talked him into using Bernard to score his latest film, Taxi Driver. And Bernard is in New York right now doing um, the Taxi Driver score. And, um, and then he talked about how Bernard had agreed to do his next film, Carrie, and they were already talking creatively about it. And he had given the book of Carrie to Bernard to read, the Stephen King book. Well, only about maybe four, three or four weeks after that, Bernard Herman finished the very last recording session of Taxi Driver and went back to his hotel and died. And it, so it was, we were literally, it just, it, I can't believe that I was listening to Herman's cues from Obsession almost a year before the film actually finally came out and just a few weeks before, before Herman passed away. And also to just think of you to just imagine what 
how different Carrie might have been with a Herman score to it as well. Um, not to take away anything from Pino Donaggio's score, which was absolutely brilliant. And it's hard to imagine Carrie without that score. It's just, uh, I mean, Pino's just absolutely amazing. Um, but anyway, it was just, it, it was incredible to feel that sort of Bernard Herman connection prior, just prior to him passing away. Um, and on the subject of Pino Donaggio, the composer, Pino, of course, did, um, I met him three times. He did, um, the, uh, when I worked, when I was working for De Palma, he scored home movies, which I associate produced and production managed, the one with Kirk Douglas and Nancy Allen. And he also scored, uh, Dress to Kill. And then I worked for about a year on Blowout up until the time they were starting to shoot. And then Brian had me go and produce another film that he was overseeing called The First Time. But, um, but Pino uh, scored Blowout and then, of course, later did Body Double and other De Palma films. Uh, but then when I started directing, um, we got Pino to do the score to Oblivion, <laughs> my, my sci-fi Western for Full Moon. And, um, and it was, again, an absolutely brilliant score. And just I adore Pino's music and, uh, and was so honored and thrilled that he was able to do one of my films. So I was, I was really proud of that. It's so so you did film school, but like you said, your film school was working with De Palma. Do you feel like you kind of started your schooling as a kid, though, when you were visiting yeah. the sets? And is that kind of yes? You, do you learn I, more from that in like your conversations for Bazaar and talking with filmmakers and actors? Yep. Did you take more from that than you did in actual school? Absolutely. I, uh, I was, you know, visiting those film sets as far back as eight years old, to, uh, making my own eight millimeter films and learning by trial and error, self-teaching, and then interviewing all the people that I did for Bazaar and visiting Man with the Golden Gun and watching that and just, and, and other film sets. I went to, I, I watched them shoot Great Expectations with, Margaret Layton and Michael York on the day that her wedding dress catches on fire. And, you know, it was like, Oh my Lord, it was just, I had the most charmed childhood and, and, and self-teaching through observation and making my own little films and stuff. By the time I got to film school at the university of South Carolina, I was so far advanced to the other students that it was really just kind of biding my time. I just continued making my own films, but not really from what I was learning in, in school, it was just a continuation of what I'd already been doing. So um, yeah, by the time I got to start working with De Palma, I was pretty advanced already. And, and then again, just learning by, watching and observing and, and seeing how the big boys do it. And uh, it was, it was incredible. I'll tell you one of the most important lessons I learned on the first day of Kirk Douglas on the fury, he came in and came, you know, gone through makeup and everything already. And was, they were, Brian was ready to start shooting the scene. And Kirk said, um, Brian, just, just hold on a few minutes. So I've got something to do. And he went around the room and introduced himself to every single crew member, asked what they did, 
and shook their hands and took the time. And Brian was getting a little annoyed at this delay. <laughs> but Kirk was not about to start shooting the film before he did the gentlemanly thing. And, and I was so impressed by that. But I was even more impressed when the next day Kirk came on the set and he went around and said hello to everybody and said them by name, had memorized and learned every single person on the crew's name. And the crew couldn't believe it. That had never happened to them. And they were absolutely in love with that guy. They would have gone to the ends of the earth and done anything for him. It was, it made such an impression on me. And so I do that on all of my films. I make sure that the first day I introduce myself to everybody on the crew. I learn their name. At the end of each day, I go around and shake everybody's hand and call them by name and thank them for what they've done and treat everybody on my crew as, as an equal. It doesn't, there's no hierarchy. It doesn't matter if you're a production assistant or producer. It's, it's one big family. And I learned that from Kirk. He absolutely was, uh, set the example and, um, was just the nicest, most professional guy. And wow, it, it just was incredible. Absolutely incredible. I think that attitude makes you feel, makes all, you know, the crew feel more like, like you say, like family, you're part of the thing. You're not just, it's not another job. You're part of the thing. Absolutely. So you're going to give more of yourself to it also. Yeah. They're yeah. Not, you know, phoning it in. Nobody was just doing it for a paycheck. It suddenly became a family. It, it became a personal thing. You want, everybody wanted to please. Everybody wanted to show Kirk that they were doing their best work. It was, it was incredible. Um, you know, I will, I will say that, uh, a, a, you know, uh, a little tale out of school. De Palma was not quite that way. And, um, and I think, you know, I, I, I always felt that, he, that had he been same, uh, had the same kind of outgoing love for his crew, the way that Kirk had that he, you know, that it would have been, um, it would have been better, a better way to do things. And so, you know, I was learning what to do and what not to do, you know? It was, it, it went both ways. Right. Right. So we mentioned a few minutes ago how it's definitely times of change and it's not easy to connect with people and, and learn from people the way you have. What, um, that being said, what is probably one piece of advice you would give besides the story you just told, which was really good advice too, uh, to an aspiring filmmaker? Well, this is what I tell all young aspiring filmmakers. It's, you know, it's a tough, tough business. Very, very tough. Um, you've got to deal with a lot of rejection with a lot of, you know, development hell where you are asked to rewrite your script a thousand times and given notes by investors and, and executives who may or may not be well-versed in film and, and not understand really what you're doing. And, 
you sometimes have to bite the bullet and do things that you feel compromise your integrity and everything else in order to just get something off off the ground. And it can be, you know, it can just be a very soul crushing business. Um, you've got to have the, the, it just has to be in your blood that this is, this is what you were born to do and you're not going to give up. When people tell me, you know, oh, I'm going to come out to California and I'm going to give it two years and see if I can get my career going. And if it isn't, doesn't happen after a couple of years, then I'll go back to Peoria and get a, a quote unquote real job. And my, what I say to them is just don't bother to come. You're not going to make it. <laughs> if you're, if you're not in it for the rest of your life, if you're not willing to dedicate yourself to it, then, then don't bother. There's too much competition. There's, you know, you're just going to get lost in, in the sea of, of people who are trying to make it in the business. And you've got to be willing to say to yourself, you know, I may never get a film financed. I may never get a film off the ground with a major studio. I may never get a network to back me. I am still going to be a filmmaker because I have an iPhone and fucking Steven Soderbergh has shot entire feature films on an iPhone. And that's all I need is an iPhone to make a film. And I can keep making films the rest of my life, never make a dime doing it, but I'm going to be doing it because it's in my blood and I have to do it. I have to do it in order to nourish my soul. And if I have to have a, a different, uh, you know, a, a job, a quote unquote regular job of whether it's waiting tables or, you know, an Uber driver or whatever it is to earn a living, I'm still going to be a filmmaker. Then, then yes, you have the right attitude and, and you, you know, you pursue it. You could, and you don't have to come out to California to pursue it either. You can be anywhere. And, uh, and I just, I love, uh, it was so cool to go to the Queer Screams Film Festival last weekend and meet a no, a several young filmmakers who are, you know, working their way up. They made short films that showed at the festival. I was so impressed with their work, so much more advanced than, um, than, than people in similar positions back in the days of when I was young, because the technology is there, the, you know, you're able to just do things so much more professionally now, you know, it's not eight millimeter silent <laughs> cameras with three minutes and 20 seconds per reel, you know, you can, you can for pretty cheaply or using your iPhone, you can get really professional looking shots and, and perfect sound. And I mean, it's just, I'm so impressed. Um, and, you know, in so many ways wish that I had had all of those toys at my disposal back in the day. Um, but at any rate, I, I just think it's, it's really has to be in your blood and you have to be obsessed and you have to be dedicated to, for it to, for you to really last in this crazy business. <laughs> I'd say that's pretty good, pretty good uh, advice. Got to have, can be dedicated and have that that tough tough hide. Yes, I'm sure very that helps too. Um, I'd say this is probably a good point to uh, thank you for for hanging out and taking time with us and the listeners. 
a lot of these stories that he told us are in the book. You guys should definitely check it out. It's just like the tip of the iceberg of the stories yeah. in that book. I listened to the audio book and I, I, I need to get a physical copy. I know I need to see all the pictures and everything, but yeah. just the, the, the audio book, the production felt like a whole thing in itself. Like you said, what is it? 22 hours? 20 hours. I know. And all these incredible it's, guest stars and everything. It was just, I had so much fun doing that. It is a production in and of itself, but you really do need both because of 600, you're missing 600, 600 photos. <laughs> now is the, uh, the Frankenstein true story book. Is that getting the audio? It will well? not. Oh, I'm sorry to say, yeah. um, but there well, is, the it sounds story. like this book is twice as big as the last one. So it audio would be kind of tricky. Yeah. It's um the I do have the three hour audio commentary of Frankenstein the True Story on the Blu-ray that um, Shout Factory put out. So if you do want to hear me talk about this it at, at great length, that's that's probably good there. But the um but the book uh, you know I just felt in this particular case with Frankenstein the True Story, so much of of it is the photographs. There's only you know there's one thousand two hundred and fifty of them, and I just felt like. No, I really, really, really want people to get the the hard copy of the book and um and be able to see all the visuals that I'm that I'm referring to because a lot of the text is explaining, uh, you know, what you what you can actually see in the photograph that's right there on the page kind of thing. And I I just didn't think it would lend itself as easily to an audio book this time around. But both books, the first one to remind everybody is called "I Was a Teenage Monster Hunter." And then the new book coming out next month is the epic saga behind Frankenstein, the true story. And both of them are exclusively available on Amazon. You can't pre-order the Frankenstein one yet. It would, um, it, we won't have any pre-orders when, as soon as it gets listed, it'll be available. And it's probably late September, early October. And, uh, so, um, yeah, check those out and then look up on imdb my my uh film list and you can be watching out for my films on streaming and whatnot there's over 50 of them <laughs> my most recent was a was a hallmark movie that we shot in the spring that just premiered in may on the hallmark channel it was called love in zion national park <laughs> is there uh, any films coming up anytime soon are you going to be anything you know the strikes are going on right now so everything is on hold ass and i'm still waiting to see if they get a waiver to do a christmas movie that i've been signed to do but that could get postponed until next year i just don't know so we're kind of all in this kind of weird limbo and we were in limbo for two years with covid and i just hate having another limbo period get back to work and then yeah that's barely got back to work again but at any any rate it's giving me um some good quality time to finish up this frankenstein book and and to promote it and get out there and go to conventions and go to film festivals like the one in portland and um and like the upcoming one in london which i'm so excited about in november and uh yeah so you know i'm a i'm a fanboy and monster kid and i love all this stuff just like everybody who's listening and um so i'm i'm happy as a clam (laughs) 
what's the best way for people to keep up on on you and your stuff? Best way, I'm old school. Well, I'm old. I'm 67. Uh, uh, so yeah, I'm I'm a Facebook guy. What I love about Facebook is you can you can do long text posts, and I'm I'm always telling stories, and I need the the space. Whereas if you, and I am on Instagram, but a lot of my Instagram posts are edited versions of ones that are on Facebook. So if you really, you know, you're better off checking me out on Facebook if you're on there, but I am on Instagram. I'm on Facebook as Sam Irvin and I'm on uh, Instagram as Sam underscore Irvin underscore director. And, uh, so you can find me in both of those places. Um, I'm kind of at the limit of 5,000 friends on Facebook, but I think you can follow me. Uh, um, if you, if, if sometimes I'll go through and anybody who's deactivated, I eliminate and I it freeze up a few spots. So it's it sort of hit or miss that I can, I can um, respond to a friend request. I hate that they have that damn limit. It pisses me off. I, I, I don't see any point in it. Um, but at any rate, and, and you can certainly follow me easily on, um, on Instagram. Well, great. Um, again, thanks for taking time. Uh, congrats on everything. Just the great Bye. career and uh, exciting life. And congrats on the, they gave you an award at that film festival last week too. What was, uh, thanks for, promoting that i feel i feel like all i do is brag <laughs> um they gave me a career achievement award which was like i said all right is that is that like you know putting me out to pasture is, is my career over and there's a no 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 no. it's uh it's just it's just a, a mid a midlife career achievement award. <laughs> honoring what you've done so far yeah. what i've done so far there we go <laughs> cool well sam thank you again it's great finally getting to uh chat face to face even though people won't get to see our faces but it's okay. yeah it's it great it's talking okay. they they got some great stories and, and it was definitely an honor and pleasure and always an inspiration here in your stories because like i said i'm doing the the hustle you know podcasting and writing for zines and blogging and trying to network and meet people so it's i definitely learned a lot from the the monster hunter book so that is great. Appreciate I, it. I appreciate it. Well, thank you so much for having me on. I, I love it. Hey, I'm Felissa Rose, Angela from Sleepaway Camp, and you're listening to the Steve and Crypto Show. Yeah. All right, we are back. Thank you again a million times to Sam Irvin. Um next time you got a book coming, let's fucking talk again. You got a movie coming. Maybe we're on holidays if you got some Hallmark Christmas movies coming out. We'll talk about them. Yeah. Um, and again, um, Steve, you mentioned it before the chat, but um, thank you to Sam for being so inviting and, and personable and, yeah, and um, feel like an old, and old friend, as you said, accessible. Cause yeah. I mean, I'm sure a lot of you guys listening enjoy that too. And being able to, chat with these people and realize oh they're they're just normal folks like us but they have some great stories to tell yeah i like i I love his work and what he's done but you know there's a lot of people that like you know i wasn't a big fan of like i was a fan i've been a fan of his stuff i've been wanting him on for a while and you know that yeah i've been trying to make it happen 
Um, but there's you people did. you're not a big fan of, like a, a band or something. You'll see, like, yeah, they were all right, and then you meet them and they're like super cool. So yeah. you want to support them, and that and it's even more so. Like I would want you to support him anyways, but as good a dude as he is, I want you to support him more. To Just th- support his craft, but also support the person. Yeah, I mean, it makes you want to support them more when they're actually a good person. You know, like he's a nice guy. And that makes you want to help them out even more. Two examples of what you were just saying. People that I'm not fans of, you know, for what they're famous for. I'm not a Post Malone fan. Not into his yeah, music. He does cool shit. Not into his music, but he does cool stuff. And the more I listen to little interviews and clips and see like how he is with fans, I like nerd, the dude. dude. Yeah. He's a nerd. He's a dude. I like the dude. He seems so nice, very respectful. I listened to a three and a half, four hour podcast with him and Joe Rogan. And he just kept calling Joe, sir. And, you know, thank you. Thank you, sir. And just like, I like the guy. Like, he's yeah, cool. Like, like okay, he, I don't like your music, but damn, you're good. You're he, a cool he, guy. Like the dude that pulled that fucking magic card. He bought it for $2 million. He made yeah. that guy's life. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's because he's a nerd. He probably wouldn't have had to pay that much. Yeah. But he probably just came forward and was like, here's $2 million. Because he can't. Because you can, and he's just kind of paying it forward. Like, yep. people supported him and made him where he is. Now he's like, all right, let me help this fellow nerd out. Yeah. And make his life, yeah. and, and I can have this cool thing. Oh, yeah. He knows how it is. I mean, he's a fellow nerd. Yeah. But second example real quick, just watched yesterday with, with Sarah. We, <laughs> we watch Hot Ones a lot, and sometimes it doesn't matter if we like the guest or not. Still going to watch just to see the, the painful interview. We watched NSYNC on there. Yeah, and it was all, good. All five of the dudes were pretty entertaining. I mean, I've already seen Timberlake on SNL, and that's another example. Like, I don't like his music. Dude's pretty funny on SNL. Yeah, they're and just performers. Or... What's his name? Uh, Chris from the group? Oh. Chris Kirkpatrick or whatever? One of them. He was pretty funny. Yeah. He just kept making little line, one-liners here and there, you know. Um, that dude, what is the host name of that? Sean Evans. He's a great interviewer. Yeah. I like him. He's one of my favorite, probably top 10 interviewers right now that are doing things. Two great interviewers, Sean Evans and Nardwar. Oh, yeah. Have you he's seen crazy. him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That dude pulls out shit that weird. the people he's interviewing didn't even know about. Yeah. Yeah. Like he'll break out some record and give it to them. They're like, where did you find this? <laughs> yeah. My my favorite's still uh, uh, McGarris. Yeah, which awesome for him. They finally they came up with a tentative deal for the Writers Guild in the studios, so that's good. Hopefully, he's getting back to work and let's get the actors. Let's give the actors their due as well, yeah. and not rip them off. Yeah, they deserve make it. a deal for them too. Hopefully, the writers got a good deal. Mm-hmm. Anyways, again, thanks, Sam. Uh, make sure you guys visit our friends at Halloween Shirt Company, HalloweenShirtCompany.com. Go to Expedition Roasters. Enter the coffee verse. Try some of their flavors. Use the code Steve Crypto. You're going to love it. Get some deals. Go to Etsy. Get yourself a shirt. Get a magnet. Get that coffee mug. Take a picture with all that stuff and tag us in it. Go to the Facebook group and join Show us what you've been working on. Show us what your friends are working on. Um, what else? Patreon. Go to Patreon. Join a Patreon. Small pledge. Min- 
little as a dollar a month. You get access to all the stuff we put over there. Um, uh, Crypto's been doing a lot of shit, doing a lot of concerts and stuff. We've been talking about that kind of stuff over there lately. Yeah, actually, you know what? I'm just going to tell you. If you want to hear about the recent trip to see Alice Cooper and Rob Zombie, we're going to go talk about that real, real soon. That's coming. And, uh, yeah, I think that's about it for this month. Halloween is coming. Halloween's coming. We have a lot of things planned. Um, ideally, we want to put out four episodes for October. I'm trying really hard to do that. You're going to get at least two, just like every other month, but maybe three. But our goal is four. We're going to have music. We're going to have some fun, uh, spooky lists of like top five, this, that, or the other things. Might have some guests. We're going to promote some stuff. We're going to have some giveaways. We're going to have some prizes. Working on a nice little pile of prizes. So you guys stay tuned. Make sure you're subscribed wherever you can listen to podcasts. Make sure you leave us reviews wherever you can. Keep listening. Spread the word. Tell your friends. Tell your enemies. Tell your grandma. uh, Tell your kids. But maybe it might be a bad idea. Uh, (laughs) If you're here in the Northwest, come see us at an event. Go to the to Crypto Zoo's Halloween party. Yeah. Down yeah, I really want to see you there. Fucking alcohol, alcohol plant. Mill. I almost called it the alcohol mills, alcohol plant. Yeah, the old alcohol plant. You can go to their website or go to Eventbrite and get tickets right now. Just Yeah, go find Crypto Zoo online and he's posting about it. So yeah. you'll, see, you'll see the details and it'll pop up in the Steven Crypto Show Facebook group as well. Yep. So... Go do that. Get ready for Halloween. And uh, see you on 120. Get to stepping. We'll see you on 127. Trick or treat, motherfuckers. Peace.